more exciting than God extending his kingdom? Is there anything more amazing than the fact that he wants to use us to do that? What an incredible privilege we have. And we rejoice as we uh, continue on in our global missions uh, conference. It gives me great joy this morning to introduce Dr. Frank Barker. Uh, Dr. Barker has been an example to many of us as, as pastors. He uh, planted and served the Briarwood Presbyterian Church for 40 years. He is now the pastor emeritus. And I uh, suspect that uh, uh, after he retired from that, I believe in 99, he, he probably uh, would tell you that he is at least as busy as he was before that. And uh, what, what Briarwood has done for us as a denomination is uh, shown us the right kind of emphasis, an emphasis of global missions where they have, have sent out, uh, uh, no telling how many missionaries through the years they may be able to tell you. They have put incredible amounts of money toward doing that. They have prayed faithfully for missionaries all over the world. They have shown us what it is to focus upon world missions, and they have shown us that a part of world missions is reaching your own community as the church has grown tremendously through those years and has a heart for the lost right in their community. And so uh, I never fail to be challenged when I hear Dr. Barker speak. I've been anticipating him being here uh, the, this morning and tonight uh, for some time. I know you will be blessed. Dr. Barker, will you come and share God's word? What a privilege to, for my wife and I to be present with you in your beautiful church and beautiful city. And uh, just to, uh, of course, be part of your missions conference. That's always exciting and a privilege. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to... Uh, John chapter 6, and let me read just a couple of verses here. <clears throat> Starting with verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Oh, uh, <clears throat> Robert Hall Glover, uh, great missionary statesman, said he believes this passage we're going to look at here in John 6 uh, contains the principles, uh, perhaps better than any other passage of Scripture, uh, how to support missions by faith giving, uh, by your faith commitment, faith promise. Uh, notice the situation here of the multitudes. In verse 5, 
says, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. Now Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, Jesus sees the multitude and all of their needs. And uh, actually, uh, when we read the other scripture, we find that uh, this group had been out there with him quite a while. And uh, they had many needs. Uh, they needed teaching, and he taught them. Uh, they needed healing, and he healed a number. Now they need food. They've been out there several days. They're hungry, and they needed something to eat. Now let's let that multitude represent the infinitely larger group around the world and locally who have many needs, uh, and we want to meet every need we can. But their greatest need, of course, is for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the gospel, for a relationship with God through Christ. They need the bread of life. And notice how he responded. He lifted up his eyes and saw them. He, he lets himself sense all of their needs and very sensitive to that. Now, we had a missionary speak at our conference, Les Thompson, years ago, and he he defined uh, a missionary like this. He said, a missionary is someone who never gets used to the thud of heathen feet on their way to a Christless eternity. That ought to define every one of us. Never get used to that. Now, uh, you know, you read in Romans 10 where Paul says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon him in the sense of place their faith in Jesus Christ as God the Son who became man, was God and man, who lived a sinless life, who died for our sin like someone would pay your fine in court, who rose from the dead, who ascended, who's coming back one day, uh, uh, who places their faith in Him and then surrenders their will to Him. That's calling on the name of the Lord, faith and repentance. Uh, how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? Well, that's mission, it? And that's ironclad logic. We've got to get the message out there. Now, notice Christ's question here. We see the situation. Uh, he says, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd is coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Uh, Philip, how can we meet the need here? Now notice why he asked Philip this. He says, he said this to test him, for he himself already knew what he was going to do. He himself knew what he would do. It's exam day. Philip's been out there with Jesus and heard him teach and been with him several years here. You learned anything, Philip? Well, that's what a, that's what a missions conference is for a congregation. It's exam day. Your Sunday school teacher's been teaching. Your small group leader's been teaching. Your pastor's been preaching. You learned anything? It's exam day. Now, suppose he had asked that of an atheist. How would the atheist have responded? It said, how many people are there? Ooh-wee. How much money do we have? Ooh -hoo. Can't do it. Better send them away. Surely Philip will do better. Let's see. Philip answered him, 
200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each one of them to have a little, just, just get a little. Just like the, you know, he says, how many people are, who? How much money do we have? Who? Can't do it. Better send them away. Just like the atheist. He flunked the test. Now think what he could have done. He could have said, how many people are there? Ooh, ooh. How much money do we have? Ooh. But, Lord, we've got you. And I remember when we ran out of wine at the wedding in Canaan, you created wine. Lord, I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to volunteer to distribute all the food you'd care to create. Now, <laughs> that would have been passing the test, but he flunked. <laughs> well, uh, now notice uh, what happens next here. Uh, you got the, this little presentation by a little lad in verse 8. It says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, uh, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many? He's flunking too. Yeah. Well, uh, when you read the other uh, Gospels, you find that Jesus says, see if anyone's got any food. And they're going around. Here's Andrew. Uh, anybody got any food? And here's this little boy. He got five barley loaves and two small fish. And uh, when I read that, the five barley loaves, I, I, I think of uh, five loaves of French bread and two sardines. But uh, uh, when you read, uh, you know, Bible dictionary, these barley loaves kind of like our flapjacks, and uh, and so he got he got uh, got two fish burgers, an extra piece of bread. That's what he got. And. Uh, you, you can see what happened. This little kid's at home and this crowd goes by and he says, where y'all going? He says, Jesus outside of town. Everybody's going. Come on. He runs in the house. Mama, Jesus outside of town. Everybody's going. Can I go? And she says, well, well, who's going? To Benjamin's next door. Well, well, you need some food. And she fixes this you know, two fish burger, next piece of bread and puts them in a brown bag and off he goes, you know. And he gets out there and Andrew, anybody got any food? Yes, sir. I got two fish burgers. I mean, <laughs> you feel like he volunteered and maybe he starts sneaking off and Andrew says, grab that kid. But you, you feel like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, think of it. He could have missed it. Because my mama wanted me to have this. That's not going to help that crowd. He could have missed it, couldn't he? And we can miss what God's prepared to do with us. Now, uh, notice the multiplication here by Christ. Uh, and uh, and when he did it here, in uh, verse uh, 10, it says that Jesus said, Have the people uh, sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Also the fish, as much as they wanted. Uh, wow. Now, uh, you notice when he did this miracle, he did it when the little boy gave his fish burgers. You notice who he used. He used the disciples. He, he gives them a portion and then they distribute it. Now, when did the multiplication take place? Did the multiplication take place uh, all while it was in Jesus' hands or in the disciples' hands or both? Robert Hall Glover, that missionary statesman, uh, wrestles with that. And he says, my own <laughs> conviction is that they didn't all multiply while it was still in Jesus' hand. He would have had a mountain of food around him. Uh, and uh, it... And when he gave it to the disciples, it didn't multiply immediately in their hands. Each of them would have had a mountain of food around him. But he says, no, they couldn't have handled that. He says, we believe that the multiplication occurred in the very instant and act of giving away by the disciples of what appeared to be the last bit they had. As they kept on giving away, kept on multiplying. If they stopped at any point, he would have stopped multiplying. 
There is that that scattereth, says Scripture, and yet increases. There is that that withholdeth more than is meat, more than is proper, and it tendeth to poverty. Well, that's an interesting thought of where the multiplication took place. You notice uh, who he used. He used the disciples. And uh, if you think about it, this is somewhat the position that we're in when we start thinking about supporting missions by faith promise or by faith giving. What do you mean? Well, suppose Jesus had said to the disciples uh, as he uh, starts uh, to give them their portion, he said, how many of that crowd uh, do you want to take on by faith? Do what? How many of that crowd over there you'd want to trust me to provide for through you? And uh, Thomas says, let me see that sack. <laughs> he says, two. <laughs> and Philip said, huh. Twenty. James said, huh, oh, two hundred. Peter said, two thousand. <clears throat> Something like that when we start talking about by faith supporting missions. Uh, or suppose the Lord had said to them, how many of you want to trust me uh, <clears throat> to provide for through you? Or they said, Lord, guide me. Guide me as to what you want me to exercise faith for here. Let me read you from uh, a uh, <clears throat> book by Jack Taylor, Baptist pastor, uh, <clears throat> where uh, he says this. So it's called God's Miraculous Plan of Economy. It says, We are to give not according to our apparent wealth, but according to God's actual wealth. It is here we encounter two kinds of giving, what he calls reason giving and revelation giving. I'd rather say reason giving and giving by divine guidance. He says, uh, most folks give whatever they give according to what they can afford. Reason giving depends upon human calculation for determining the amount to be given. One surveys his own account of his account. He says, well, I have this much, therefore I can afford to give this much. Uh, <clears throat> God is not consulted. Only the human reason determines how much is to be given. The other kind of giving, what he called revelation giving, is that which depends upon divine guidance, let's say, for the amount to be given. It takes into account what is in his account upon which we can draw. He says, I'll never forget when we as a congregation began to get in on that type of giving. They had a capital fund campaign for a building they were building, and he was wrestling with his own commitment to it. And he says, have you ever tried to, how about God? Say, God, how about, he said, God, how about uh, uh, five, he said, how about $1,000? Uh, and he he had no idea where he'd get to $1,000, but no sense of guidance and no peace and Scott how about two thousand dollars still no sense of guidance and uh, he said already I was way beyond any sense of what I could afford and so he said uh, <clears throat> in sheer desperation I said all right Lord how much so the figure came to my mind five times the original amount five thousand dollars he said I tried to blame it on the devil <clears throat> or, on, uh, or on my imagination but he said I couldn't get away from it and that's what we committed ourselves to give, 
And he says, you know the story. God enabled us to do what he revealed we should do. In fact, we were able to go above and beyond to the glory of God. Praise the Lord. For once we'd given according to revelation, not according to reason. The overall results throughout the membership were astounding. Folks walked into a financial miracle when they started giving according to God's account, not according to their account. Uh, here's a letter I got years ago from a lawyer in my congregation. Dear Frank, this is to reiterate our experience with the faith promise for world missions. At the time of making our faith promise commitment in 1979, we decided on the amount and then waited to see if the Lord provided that amount for us to give to satisfy our faith promise commitment. We waited all year. In 1980, my wife and I became convinced that in 1979, we would not made a faith promise at all, but rather simply made a promise. We had not stepped out on faith to trust God to provide the amount of our faith promise commitment. As a result, in 1980, we decided to double our 1979 commitment. But additionally, we decided to trust God for the amount. We divided the amount of our promise by the number of weeks in the year and began immediately to give the weekly amount of our annualized faith promise commitment. I've just recently received our CPA's figures reflecting our income for the calendar year 1980. My income has increased by more than 10 times the amount of our faith promise for 1980. Additionally, we've just made our 1981 faith promise commitment in which we decided to increase our faith promise commitment by 30% over our 1980 commitment. And there, very next week, we received notification from the mortgage company who holds the first mortgage on our home that our monthly payment would decrease. The amount of the decrease was almost exactly the amount by which we had decided to increase our faith promise commitment. Perhaps this is not everyone's experience. However, God has consistently demonstrated to our family the truth contained in his word in Luke 6:38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. Uh, I grew up in a <clears throat> Christian home. I was taught to tithe as a child. When I went into service out of uh, college, uh, I had them take a tenth of my pay and send it to my home church. I'm not sure what my motives were. I was living an immoral life. And, and uh <clears throat> in the service, I had close calls flying off aircraft carriers and I'd get religious for a week. <clears throat> Even joined the choir on the aircraft carrier after one close call. <clears throat> but no real change. But finally, I, after enough close calls, I decided that uh, i try to do God's will. And I uh, got the feeling he wanted me to go to seminary and be a minister. And I said, whoa, wait a minute, I'm an Auburn engineer. But I couldn't shake that feeling. So I went to seminary and uh, i been in seminary a year, and God opened my eyes to the fact that salvation is a gift to grace. I actually I went to seminary partly out of the motive I feel God wants me to go. I better do it, but partly out of the motive I've been so bad. If I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to have to be a preacher. <laughs> and... Uh, and God opened my eyes to the fact that salvation is by grace. It's a, I was amazed at grace. Are you amazed at grace? What? Christ died and paid in full for all of my sins, and all I got to do is surrender my will to Him, put my trust in Him, and the matter settled. And I can, man, I went around seminary shouting, "You don't do that in Presbyterian seminary," you know. And and uh, 
And I, I wanted to express my gratitude, and I didn't know how. I was already in seminary. What else do you do? And, uh, the idea occurred to me to ask the Lord to let me increase the percentage I was giving each year. wasn't hard. I, I was on the GI Bill. I was pastoring a church on the weekends. Uh, one weekend a month, I Naval Air Reserve. I, I wasn't married, so I just jumped the percentage on up. So I got out of seminary, started Briarwood Church, got uh, salary $300 a month, and then uh, got married. And they increased my salary when I got married. Got married, had had uh, three children and uh, two and a half years. And this area of giving got to be a tension area between my sweet wife and me. <clears throat> and she said, this is ridiculous. You can't give like you want to give and have children. We, you, know, you got to make a choice. Well, I, I found the best thing for me to do was not to say a lot, but to pray a lot. And if I prayed hard enough, when it came time to increase the percentage, uh, she'd be willing to go along with it. Now, I'm the head of the house, but I like peace. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, but then we then we had that third baby coming, and and she said, "Look, when it got time to make the commitment, we can't increase it. There's no way. The car's in shambles. You've got to do something about the car. And uh, the baby's due in in uh, April, and uh, it, it, we." You, there's no way, and I didn't say anything. I just prayed, and sure enough, when it, it came time to make the commitment, she was willing to increase the percentage, but with many prophecies of financial doom. <clears throat> uh, that was in November. In January, when that pledge began, a car dealer got converted, and he joined the church, and I was discipling him, and I was meeting with him weekly, and uh, I was driving out to meet with him in March, and it was raining. <clears throat> and uh, I remember because the car leaked, and, uh, and the windshield wipers didn't work very well, and the tires were like glass. And I was discussing that with the Lord, and I said, "Lord, I can't get the car fixed. I, you got to keep it running. I got. I don't even know how I'm gonna get the baby out of the hospital next month." And and, uh, and we went to lunch in his car. He really know the shape my car was in, and we were sitting there. And he said, "You know, I'd like to do something. You let me do it my way." And I said, "What is that?" He said. I'd like to furnish you with a car. So it'd be his car, but I'd drive it and said, all you gotta do is put gas and oil in it and, and turn it in at the end of the year and I'll furnish you with another new car and I'll take your car and fix it up and sell it and give you the money. What do you think? <laughs> I said, that'd be nice. <clears throat> and uh, I drove home in a brand new station wagon. Well, well, uh, a month later the baby came and while my wife was still in the hospital, before we had to pay for the baby, he called me up and said, Hey, I just sold your car. Come get the money. I went to get the money. It's $500. The last baby had been $500 to get out of the hospital. This was $500. And uh, I went to pay for the baby, and this is a $300 baby. This is a cheaper baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, 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 wound up with, we wound up with a new car, a new baby, and $200. And, uh, <laughs> And my wife said, the Lord did that. I said, yes, he did. Well, when it came time to pledge next year, she wanted to pledge everything we had. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I could go on by the hour with stories like that. Uh, stories like that, I'm sure a lot of you could too. Uh, you know, I, I really think this is a very important area of the Christian life. I, I believe I see Christians grow more spiritually when they take steps of faith and obedience in this area than almost any other area. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really an important area. Uh, reading uh, Life magazine years ago, and there was a uh, series of pictures there, and it, it showed a, a, out west a, 
a farm and uh, where they had all this wheat growing and uh, people were it was shown in the evening and people were going out into the field in every direction and what happened was uh, a little uh, old, like two or three year old boy had wandered out into the field in the afternoon and uh, he once he was out in the field he couldn't see the house and, and no one could see him and he's lost out there in this huge wheat field and, and people are coming from all over to try to find him because it's going to freeze that night. And if they didn't find him, he would die. And, and, uh, and then it showed the next morning and looked like half the county was there just going in every direction in the field. And then the next picture showed them joining hands and sweeping across the field like this. As soon as they did that, they found the little boy. And, and then the next picture showed him in his daddy's arms. The little boy's dead. And, and the caption underneath said, oh, if we had only all joined hands sooner. Well, that's what we're doing here. We're joining hands. We're joining hands with the missionaries. We're joining hands with each other to get the job done, the huge job. And, and uh, we want to all just all join in with this. Uh, and notice what the result was here in uh, verse 11. It says, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. The need was met. And when they had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, uh, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, uh, the need was met. The multitude was filled. And, uh, you know, Christ has always been equal to meeting the need. There's no lack of resources. Because he's our resource. There's a lack of appropriation of resources as we step out and act in faith and trust him. Second Corinthians uh, <clears throat> chapter 9, verse 8, Apostle Paul is challenging the Corinthian church to give to an offering he's taken up with poor Christians in Jerusalem. And he says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Well, God, give into your bosom. Uh, you know, he says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Uh, God is able, God will make all grace abound toward you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. The need was met. And notice that uh, the multitude was convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be in verse 14. It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. You know, when God's people start drawing on God's power, the people around stood up and start taking notice. Something's happening over there. Rightly so. And the disciples, they were fed and they were fruitful. And can't you see that little boy going home? Mama, mama, you won't believe what happened to those two fish burgers. I bet he got up the next morning. Fix me two more. I'm going to see if you do it again. <laughs> that kid is never, never the same, you know. And uh, boy, he could have missed it and we can miss what God's prepared to do. Well, applying it to us, we're in the position of Philip here. It's exam day. And uh, uh, he's asking, how can we meet the need here? And he wants to draw out our faith. And uh, by way of response, uh, he wants some of us going to the mission field. Uh, whether it's uh, right here and somewhere or overseas or whatever. He wants some of us going. Uh, 
short term, long term. Uh, he wants uh, all of us praying. That's a crucial part of it. And uh, all of us to give. And you say, well, I don't have anything. Well, you got him. Uh, what can you trust him to channel through you? And then uh, pray and, and ask guidance and make a commitment and seek to come up with it. He may let you earn it in some unusual way. Uh, but uh, uh, step out and trust him and just see what he does. And, uh, of course, could be you're here and you're one of those whose feet we never get used to on your way to a crisis eternity. There I was in seminary, not a Christian, because I had missed that salvation's a gift. That's the starting place. If you've never surrendered your will to Christ and put your trust in Him alone as your approach to God, that's the starting place. Let's have prayer. Lord, what a privilege to be involved in the greatest enterprise in the world of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people who desperately need it. Lord, we would pray that each of us might be trusting in you alone and surrendered. But then, Father, we want to step out and be used by you to channel your resources and the gospel to others. So guide now, Father, as we wrestle with this, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, and then it says, beyond my tithe toward the global mission outreach of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. And then it gives the period of time from April 1st to March 31st, 2012. It says this, I understand I'll never be asked for it. This is a faith agreement between God and me. And then there is a, a scripture verse. Now it is a two-part card. And so you then tear it apart put that same figure in the other one, and then it says, keep this portion for your records. And so you want to put that in your pocket and take it home and put it where you will see it, where you can ask God to be providing, where you can see when, where, when he has exceeded that which you had faith for. This blank is, is really not for how much extra pocket change you have. This is a step of faith. It's saying, this is what I believe God is capable of providing to me so that I can pass it on in global missions. It does not advance our church. It is an advancement of his kingdom. And so I want to personally encourage everyone to write some figure in there, and then they will be picked up. You just simply turn it over and and pass it back. 
If all you can write is zero, I would encourage you to do that on both cards and then put it before the Lord and ask him to give you more faith. See what he will provide. But ask God what he would have you give in this next year. Um, go ahead and, and fill those out. And then when you're finished, if you will pass, I'm sorry. If you don't have a card, raise your hand. Okay. Need this balcony over here. Thank you. Please be in a spirit of prayer. Uh, and then we will, you can pass them back to the end of the row and we will pick them up.